I'm going to read the passage for this morning. It's Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Um, My name is Josh Thrower and we are members here at BC and um, today is Father's Day if you haven't noticed and I am not sure if this is sort of the privilege or a chance to let the new guy mess things up on Father's Day so no one else has to or what that is but um, but as, as always, I'm going to take it as an honor to share God's word with you today. Um, Sean and I talked uh, a few weeks ago about what we were going to talk about, and I, I mentioned Father's Day and the, the traditional experience you, you hear on Mother's Day that comes and how great mothers are, and mothers are great, and all the great things they do, and it's just a really encouraging thing. And then Father's Day comes around, and we joked, probably unfairly, so I'll say that up front, but probably unfairly that that Father's Day sometimes feels like, here's the challenge. You know, God is a great father. You should be more like that. And we all know how that works out. We kind of feel like we fall short of that kind of standard. And and so today, um, for all the fathers and everybody else, I want to be as encouraging and positive as I can. So that's where I'm going to try and stay. Um, And to begin that, I want to talk to the children. So I know that I'm a stranger to many of you, and in exchange, I know none of your names. So... We are going to just try to do what we can, but I think you guys can still help me out. So, can you show me your hands if you're one of the kids in the audience? Let me see your hands. I know you know this is how this works. You're conditioned to it. All right, I see a few hands. So, one of those with the hands up, I want you to tell me on Father's Day, tell me what you like most about your dad. We're only going to do three or four, so let's start back here, bright colored shirt. What do you like most about your dad? What was that? You have to help me. Oh, does he like to put things in the cup like 
coffee or something like that? Just water. Drinks water. All right, in the back, you look excited. What do you like best about your dad? And you will have to help me. I'm sure I can't hear that. When he plays with you, is he pretty good at that? Does he pretend? Okay, good, good. All right, let's try on this side. Is there someone right there in the Adidas shirt? Yes, you. He's helpful to you? Very good, very good. So um, I want you to just kind of think about it. Let me challenge you. I know there are some who we didn't get to talk to, but let me challenge you when you go home to tell your mom and your dad, um, maybe start with your dad, it's Father's Day, but tell your mom and your dad what you like most about them. Tell them that. And I'm going to be talking today about a Psalm of David in which he talks about what he likes about God, not necessarily dad, but about God and why God should be praised. He's going to talk about those things. And perhaps around your dinner table or lunch table or whatever, you can ask your mom and dad what they like best about God. And maybe then you can share what you all like best. And then like David, who we're going to talk about, you can praise the good things of God together. So let me challenge you to do that. Talk about, tell them what you like about your parents, mom and your dad, tell them what you like. But then also ask them, what do they like best about God? So today, um, let's move from there. Today we were, we're going to walk through Psalm 145, which we read earlier. Um, So let's begin. If you could list off the best things about God, what would those be? If you could write a list, I want you to just think about that for a minute. What would those be? In Psalm 145, David's doing just that, I think. Um, The song could be titled something like, or if I were to title it for David, which is probably unfair, reasons to praise God, reasons maybe he has for praising God, or maybe reasons that you and I have for praising God. David reflects on God's admirable qualities and activities, and at the end, he kind of challenges others to join him in that praise. So let's, um, let's kind of put some of the structural, there's a structural question and, and technical stuff. Let's kind of move all that behind us quickly uh, so that we can focus in on what's said there. In Psalm 145, David takes each consonant of the Hebrew alphabet, all except actually one or maybe one, and we'll talk about that in a second, uh, and writes each line starting with the next letter. So, you know, if, if it was just our alphabet, the first line starts with A, second B. Um, anyway, going through the alphabet, it's an acrostic type poem uh, or poetry writing. So in an effort at full disclosure, the letter that was either missing or fell out um, is found in some translations, even what we read in the ESV, as sort of extra lines in verse 13. So if you notice that and you're like, I don't understand what's going on here, um, people are discussing where it's in some manuscripts, not in others, um, so that we don't get hung up on this though. Here's my conclusion, sort of summary of it all. And I'd be very willing to talk with any of you afterwards about those words there, but um, here's here's sort of my, my final comments. Theologians discuss what to do with these lines. Um, You know, did David write them? Did somebody else? How does that fit in? But for today, I want to say this. I haven't seen anything that debates the theology of those extra lines in verse 13. The words that we find there, no one's asking like, are these real? Are these, um, you know, accurate? And so these are the words. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. 
It's not a very controversial statement. It's an encouraging statement. And so uh, whatever happens with our discussion on the text, um, I think we can kind of push that to the side and move ahead. Um, it doesn't bother us either way. So let's jump in to the psalm. And I, wanna, I want you to look. You're going to need probably um, a text with you, or if, if the people in back are super technical, they can try and keep up. Good luck. Uh, but the, the first three verses, they start us off in this manner of praise. We can think of David declaring that, that God is his God and his king. And I, I think it was interesting as we walked through our liturgy today, just thinking about how gave, David was approaching God as someone that the Bible set, declares as a man after his own heart, but also as somebody who utterly falls short. And both of those things are true of David, and he approaches God still. And I think that that, that gives us some sort of background, sort of flavor um, to, the, to these verses, to this passage. We can also think about the, the Psalms. David is declaring he's, that God is his king. God is his God. Um, but also we can think about the Psalms' inclusion in the book of Psalms. It is um, sort of an invitation to all who sing it. They're going to declare from I, from a personal perspective, he is my God. He is my king. And I think that that's important. David wrote it with, I think, probably both intentions in mind. Now, um, what are those who call God their king uh, or their God and king to do. And if we look at the verses here, the words are extol. That's a fun one. You can go look that up and make that the vocab word of the day around the dinner table or something like that. Extol or bless or praise or declare that God is great, greatly to be praised and so great that he can't be understood. All of these things, just declaring the greatness of God. And if I were to summarize all of that up into one sort of line, it would be that God is worthy of our praise because of who he is because of his attributes, because of, of who he um, is made out to be. So God is worthy of praise because who he is. Now let's look at verses 4 through about 12, just as a big chunk. God has done great things. When we start looking through this, David is suggesting God's done great things. In fact, he's been doing great things for a while now. Notice his words here in verses 4 through 12, works, the mighty acts, wondrous works, awesome deeds, greatness. God has done many things. There's not just one thing to tell. God did one good thing once. No, that's not true. There's, uh, there's, there are just so many things that he could mention. Now, look at verse 10. Notice what these acts, these works of God actually do, which is kind of weird. The, the noun of the sentence is the works of of God. It says, all your works shall give thanks to you. The works of God themselves give thanks to God. The works of God declare his greatness. They, they display who God is and how great he is. So the obvious question is, how can we know about these things? How can we know what has happened? Maybe even all those things that God has done before we became aware, or maybe before we were even born. How do we learn about that stuff that God has done in the past? First, um, that's actually one of the functions of the Bible. That's one of the purposes of the Bible is to declare to us those things that, um, that God has done in the history of God interacting with mankind um, and just what's gone on before that. We can also study history. It's true that we can look at just history, learn from the historical past, see things that God has done in orchestrating the events of the world. We can also see God's people working in history and doing things that affect society and 
um, in the, the course of nations. But I want to look and kind of hone in here where David suggests in verses 4 and 6 and 7, he suggests that one generation will tell the next generation of the awesome things that God has done. One generation will tell the next one of the awesome things that God has done. Even today, this is one of the great values we can have for those who maybe are a little further along on this road of life than we are. I hope you value those people who've seen a few more sunrises than you. We must value those who've seen these great things that God has done. And, and, and these are some of the most important people in your and my spiritual walk. They develop us, they encourage us, and they tell us of the things God has done. We need to listen to their stories. We need to join them in praising our God together. Maybe for a few of us, uh, for you of you, I don't know how you want to classify that. That's always impossible. Never mind. That will just make everybody offended. I don't know who's going to consider themselves older. You're all older than somebody. Unless you're in the nursery, you're older than someone. So think of it that way. So we all have, uh, are a little further along than other people. So here's the challenge. Share what you know. Share what God has done. Share those times when God has come through and you couldn't believe it. Share those times when you were weak, but God was strong. Here's the challenging one. Even share those times that you failed and God didn't walk away. He loved you. That's the challenge to me. Share those times where I failed. We need to do that because they point to how great of a God we serve. Those who are coming after us, those who are coming after you, need to hear those stories. Your children need to hear those stories. David is saying to us that God is worthy of our praise because of what he has done in the past. Then in verses 12 through 13, we begin to make sort of a transition. It transitions from talking about God's actions to God's rulership over this world. God's works declare who God is and the glory of his kingdom. This kingdom, David begins talking about the kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom. And that means that this rule or this kingdom, has ex uh, it existed before, but it extends all the way to the present and then into the future. Often we think about God's kingdom as something in the future. We think, oh, we want to see God's kingdom someday. But um, here David is talking more in the present, I think, at this point. I want to emphasize that presentness of God's kingdom. Verses 4 through 19, David describes what God's kingdom is like. He's not just talking about the past, but the present as well. Look at how David describes how God rules over all the earth. Verse 14, David mentions that God sees those who are struggling. Many people need to hear this about God. Maybe you need to hear this about God today. Or maybe you need to share this with someone, uh, a tr this truth about God today. He hears those who are struggling. He sees those who are struggling. But God uh, not just sees those who are in need, those who are struggling, but he also responds to them. Even in verse 14, David mentions that. He doesn't just leave them there. Yep, I know. But he responds to them. Then in verse 15, God produces, uh, gives produce and food in all the seasons, only for those who follow him, no. But for the earth, for all who are there. David, uh, God is uh, offering abundance. 
and the things that people need. David even says that God satisfies the desires of every living thing in verse 16. This is kind of an interesting statement if you think about it. Based on the rest of, this, uh, the, rest of the Bible, I think, I'm in, I'm in the right in saying that I think these desires seem to be those, those common things, that, uh, those things of life that we all share, such as family and laughter and food and friends and moments of happiness. Those are things that God doesn't just give to those who follow him, but those are things that he grants, allows for all people, for all of his creation. David is saying those, uh, that even those who are not with God get good things in this life from the good God that we serve. God is good to all of his creation and therefore worthy of praise. As we move into verse 17, we see several more attributes of God. God is righteous. And kind, verse 17, he is near to those who call on him in truth. Verse 18, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cries and he saves them in verse 19. The realities of verses 14 through 19 describe God's present goodness in creation today for all people. David is highlighting these priorities uh, as, as reasons to praise God. These actions of God now in the present are reasons to praise God. And so to sum that, one, uh, that section up, David is saying that God is worthy of our praise because of what he's doing right now. Here we step to verse 20. We can see in verse 20 sort of the future of the kingdom that God is in control of. Those who fear God are preserved, it says, and they remain forever with God. They, they are preserved. But those who are labeled as the wicked, God will destroy. That seems negative, but it also suggests that God doesn't let things go. God is just and true. The rules don't bend for some people and not for you. And there's, there are none who get away with it, whatever it is. Justice is clearly in God's um, attributes and clearly the way that God functions. David is suggesting in this one verse that God is worthy of our praise because of what he's going to do. For those who are with him and those who are not with him, God is worthy of our praise for what he will do. And then verse 21. Let's read this one, uh, the, the verse itself. David says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. When we get to the end of this psalm, there are a few things to note. This final verse focuses on what happens as David has dwelt and thought and, and sort of um, contemplated the greatness of God himself, the greatness of God uh, and what he's shown through the works that he's done, that he's doing, and that he's going to do. David has nothing left to do but to praise, uh, praise the Lord, and he desires that other people would come and join him. Throughout this psalm, David has declared that he will extol God and bless his name forever. In verse 1, as we said, he will bless and praise God's name forever. Verse 2, he will meditate on God's wondrous works. Verse 5, he will declare God's greatness. Verse 6, and he will speak and praise the Lord himself and calls for others to join him in that praise. Verse 21. Those are David's reactions within the psalm. But as I began to just dwell on this psalm and, and sort of uh, think through the things that were going on there, even kind of as I noticed the structure 
um, that I, I sort of outlined for you. David talks in those categories that I mentioned. Praises God for who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. And that pattern seemed kind of familiar to me. This outline is, is really kind of, in my, in my mind, the key components required to understand the gospel. Think with me about what the gospel is. The gospel is a, a really churchy word, but it, what is included in the gospel is the, the key. The gospel, the good news. What is included in that message? I think that's what's happening here is reflected in, in sort of the illustration Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, when he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we face to face. Now in part, uh, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. And I, I was thinking, um, even uh, I was at the gas station the other day and, you know, you drive in the evenings, especially home from the softball game the other night, uh, pretty late, bugs hit the windshield a lot and it begins to be really kind of tricky to see through. Not too bad, but enough. And it's really different when you finally get out and you clean that windshield off. You can see things so much more clearly. Or more, the better illustration for my life is I have these glasses on and they may seem clear to you, but they are smudged and smeared because I'm awful at it. And so every once in a while, Kimbrough will ask, uh, like, hey, can I clean your glasses or do you want me to? And I'll say, yeah, sure. And I put them on and I'm like, wow, everything's so different than it was. It's amazing. But... Um, I don't know why I just can't seem to do that. But it's amazing the difference between when you kind of see it, it's not like you don't know what's there, but then when you can see clearly, you definitely know what's there. And in a similar way, I think David could understand God to a big degree. He understood the things of God, but he couldn't know the whole detail of what Jesus would do for mankind, what God would do for mankind. This means that David's psalm is fulfilled really in Jesus himself. So David's outline becomes our outline for knowing, and I believe in praising God. It's the same outline. We just have more details now with the coming of Jesus and what we know of him. So try to follow my logic here. Sometimes my logic is a little strange, but try to follow me. To understand the gospel, we must actually rightly identify who Jesus is. In fact, this is a huge part of what each of the gospel books in the Bible, talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all trying uh, to do this. They are establishing who Jesus is. Uh, and Mark 1, for example, begins this way, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He just declares that straight out and then spends pretty much the rest of the gospel um, talking about Jesus doing God things, like teaching about God and about the holiness of God and about the holiness that people can um, can experience in God, but not in themselves. He's healing people. He's forgiving sin. These are God things. And Mark and the other gospels are using these activities of Jesus to show us that Jesus is God. If we miss that, we miss it all. To understand the gospel, though, we also need to know what Jesus has done. David has spent the largest portion of this psalm talking about what God has done historically. Verses 4 through 12, 13 uh, we too can see this fulfilled in Jesus' activities. Jesus did miracles. He healed the sick. He taught with authority about things of God. And these show who he is. These show what he, what God cares about and what he did, particularly on the cross. The gospel is that Jesus, declared to be God, proven to be God through his actions, lived a holy life and died. He was killed, suffered the, uh, the declared punishment, not for his sin, but actually for ours, because he had no sin. 
He died on the cross, was separated from the Trinity of God for a period of time, and was forsaken and rejected by all. His death, the death of God himself, paid the penalty for our sin, and that is the gospel message. He died for us so that we might live for him. He's done the thing that we can never do. Finally, Jesus also fulfills this psalm, how he was raised again. He was not raised again to do nothing, to be a showpiece. No, he is alive and active. God is at work in the world all around us. Just as David saw that in his life, we can see that in how Jesus is working in life and in life around us. In Acts, we see Jesus, he ascends to the heavens. He sends the Holy Spirit. He stands at the right hand of the Father and speaking and affirming his followers at multiple times. In fact, in Acts, I don't remember exactly where, but recently we talked about a time where um, Jesus comes and encourages Paul, kind of keep going, or you're in the right place. It, it happens multiple places throughout the book of Acts as we're studying here at BC. To understand the gospel We must not just know who Jesus is, and we don't just need to know what he did, but also what he's doing right now. We need to understand he is active in our world today. He is active right now in your life and in my life as well. God's changing us. He's refining us and using us for his kingdom. He doesn't just leave us to be. For David, God is amazing, has done amazing things, and is currently active in David's life and the world around him And for you and me, God is amazing in those same ways. God has done amazing things in Jesus and through the cross. And he is currently active in our lives every day, right now. For David, this all comes together in verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. See, that brings us to that next point. To understand the gospel, we must rightly know what Jesus will do. It's a promise and a sobering reality. All people fit in these two categories. In David's time, he speaks of those who love God and those who are wicked. Today, we talk of those who have put their faith in Jesus and follow him and those who don't. So my question, my first kind of direct question for you is for you to think about this. Which category are you in? You need to know the answer to that. There are only two categories. Are you with those who trust in Jesus or those who do not? If you've placed your trust in him and trust in his work for you on the cross, then just like this this verse says, God will preserve you. The Bible has declared it in many places. If you're a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, then you can praise God because he has declared that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Another reason to praise God. In John 14, 3, Jesus declares that he will come again and will take you to himself, that where he is, you will be also. We are followers of Jesus. He is with us now, currently, and he will be uh, this, this with us-ness. Is that a word? I don't know. Um, this with us-ness will continue forever. Jesus has and will preserve us. But this verse also speaks of two categories. And as I committed to be positive this morning, let me leave the inverse for you, the opposite for you to think through. The reality that some people are not God's people should affect us, should make a difference in our lives. In that thought, notice David's final verse again, the final verse of this psalm. These these are going to be my final comments, actually, before we pray. David can't help 
but praise and speak the praises of God. But then he doesn't just stop there. His desire is that all flesh would bless the holy name or his holy name forever and ever. He cares. He wants for those people who aren't currently praising God to come and join him in his praise of God. His praise of God doesn't end with just, yay, God, you're great. It's, yay, God, you're great. Let's, everybody else, come here. Come see this. Come know the God that I know. Know what the God that I know has done great things, is doing great things right now, and has promised to do great things into the future. That's where my hope rests. David wants others to know that too and join him in it. So the next kind of direct question to you is, is that your heart's cry? Is that where you are? Are you seeking to tell everyone about God? Do you desire that they would join you in praising God? Do you tell your children and your family and your grandchildren, do you tell them about Jesus and all these things? Do you tell him, them what Jesus is sharing with you in your life right now? Do you tell them the promises that he's made to you? in your life through the Bible? Do you tell your friends? Do you tell your neighbors? What about all those people at work? Whatever work looks like for you. Or maybe those people you see throughout your day. Or the people you go to Aldi with. I don't know. But are you interested in them joining you in praising this great God you serve? Dads and everyone here today, praise God in your life with your family Tell others who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he is doing today, and what he will do. Pray that you would do this, as David says, forever and ever. Join with me in that. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, uh, I think Dan is coming. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for these words of David that you um, have brought to his lips. I thank you for the praise that he um, shared with us his uh, commitment, his amazement uh, at who you are, his commitment to praising you, his commitment to bringing others to praise you as well. God, I pray that that would be also our lives, that you would give us opportunities to share who you are with other people. God, that you'd remind us of how that's the big difference. God, we have you and that you offer yourselves to everyone. God, I pray that we would have opportunities to share that with others, that more and more and more people would come and praise your name together. God, that more would come here to BC, sure, but God, know that it would be throughout the world, that it would be throughout Hannibal, that it would go beyond here uh, to just seeing how, uh, just more and more people seeing how great you are. God, let your the gospel, the good news of all of these things, of who you are and what you've done, what you are doing, what you will do, help that to come off of our lips every day, this week, in the days ahead. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.